Welcome to the Mental Mile. I'm Charisty. I'm Christy. And we are moms, friends, and therapists. Welcome to today's podcast. Um, today we're going to be talking about sleep training, whether you should sleep train or not sleep train. That is the question. <laughs> so I thought it might be useful just for us to mention, you know, like what the different uh, sleep training methods are. Uh, because when I was, you know, with my very first child, and I'll just put this out there with all three of my children, I had a different experience. Um, I, I truly believe every child comes into this world with a different sleep preference, <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. a sleep temperament, maybe I should say. Yeah. So um, what works for one person may not work for another person. But I think generally speaking, there are, are um, it's nice to know what the different categories are so that you can um, find what works for you. So I think everyone's heard of the cry it out method. Um, this is probably the most controversial method because yes, um, it can be kind of seen as um, harmful and harsh. Um, to the baby. Um, but it is about extinction. It's about getting rid of, of the of behavior. Yeah. Did you use cry it out at all? We didn't use cry it out. Um, we ended up using different methods for each of our kids. Um, just like you said, and we did end up working with, um, a sleep consultant to help us sort of tailor the methods for the kids. Okay. Okay, well, well, we'll get more into that. I'm mm-hmm. very here about your experience. The next one is on my list anyways, is co-sleeping, <clears throat> which is oftentimes um, discouraged because it, you know, there's a risk of like your baby falling off the bed or somebody rolling um, over the baby or the baby suffocating. Um, but there's also ways that you can make it more safe. Um, and I'm not an expert on that, but if you think this is the right method for you, definitely do your research and um, talk to your doctor about it. But um, I will say with my first child, we co-slept and it was the best sleep of my life. I loved it. <laughs> but yeah. at some point, I think when she was probably around one years old or so, um, it became quite unpleasant. And then it was very difficult to sleep train. Um, okay. and, I'll, and I'll get a little bit more into that. Um, the third method um, which is it, it is similar to the fourth method I'll mention also. It's called the wave. And this is the method that worked the best for me. And I used it with both um, my, my second and my third child. And it is basically um, you go in every five minutes if the child is crying. If the child isn't crying, then you don't go in. And it's um, a method where you're trying to help the child learn how to self-soothe, to fall asleep. And um, when you do go in, you're going to do like the least intrusive thing first. So you might just open the door. And if that's enough to get the child to fall asleep, that's all you do. If you need to step in a little bit further and say a soothing word, then you can do that. If that doesn't work, you get a little bit closer. You might sing a lullaby. If that doesn't work, put your hand, you know, like on their back and gently soothe them. And the last thing you're going to do is is get them out of the bed, rock them and possibly feed them. Um, However, age matters because if the baby is too young and needs a feeding, then you, you know, um, really young babies, you do have to um, feed during the night. So, right. Yeah, know about that. So then the fourth method is the Ferber method, which is it's the difference between the Ferber method and the wave is that the time that you allow to go by is different. You know, it might might be Mm -hmm. one minute, it might be 10 minutes, but it's not going to be as long as the cried out method. And it's also gentle in that, like, you don't, you check and you console, um, and you're trying to help your child learn how to self-suit. 
The fourth method is the chair method. And this is where you gradually move your presence out of the room. Mm -hmm. And I would say that once my kids became more toddler ages and moved into their, um, you know, like their big kid beds, this is what I had to start doing. So I like switched mm -hmm. from one method to another. Uh, but I think for really young children, this method can be difficult because it's confusing, you know, for like mm -hmm. little babies because they don't know why you're not responding. And that can be distressing. This is so interesting because all of this information is flooding back to me. Both of my kids were not, um, you know, I wouldn't say like natural sleepers on their own. And we're out of this phase, but I remember everything. So with the chair method, kids have not, I think they develop object, um, what is it, permanence around 10 months, right? So they have an understanding that when you're outside of the door, you still exist. Right. Whereas when they're younger, when you leave the door, it's essentially as if you've died. Right. And so you don't use the chair method until they're a toddler, like around a year, because they don't understand what's happening. Right. Yeah, that's exactly it. And I would say with all of these, um, every single method, what they do have in common is that you should use a bedtime routine of some sort. And yes. a bedtime routine can be really soothing. Um, I know the really popular book, you know, Good Night Moon. Mm -hmm. If you can believe I did not use that book with my first child. <laughs> I don't know how I was not gifted a copy of that book. And oh, I got buy it three copies. <laughs> yeah. But um, for my second and third child, this book, I read it last night. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, it is a book that like, it helps them wind down and focus, like, I don't know if it helps them focus, but it helps them get that concept of like winding down, things getting darker and like falling to sleep, you know, it really yes. works. So I have tried to base my kids bedtime routine on the bedtime routine of that book where you're like going around the room saying goodbye to everything or goodnight to everything, yeah. reading a book and then, you know, drifting off to sleep. So that's love awesome. that. Do you have, do you have a bedtime routine with your kids or maybe I do from when they were little? Right. But I think a lot of it's really stayed the same, right? It's um, bath time, you know, for my youngest, we, he still drinks some milk, reading some books, singing some songs. Um, my oldest is not a fan of my voice anymore. So that part is out of the routine. But in general, it's those things. And it was interesting being a parent. It got me thinking about why it is that for me, I sleep so much better when I'm reading a paper book versus on my phone before bed. Sure. So all of that stays with us, right? And I have the best sleep if I read before bed or if I meditate. And meditation's all about an alert state of awareness. But a byproduct, if you do it at night, is you'll just have the best sleep ever. Mm -hmm. um, so do I do it every night? No, because sometimes I want to watch a fun show on my phone. But um, but you'll notice you're like, oh, I mean, this is all the thing. These are all the things that help us too. Right, right. Yeah, it's really interesting because I, I don't think I ever thought about it before having kids. But the sleep, um, uh, the things that you associate with sleep when you're little are tend to be the things that you still associate with sleep mm -hmm. as you're older, you know, like a favorite pillow or a favorite object. Um something calming, reducing the lights, you know, like lowering the, mm -hmm. this is another thing that I did not do with my first child that made a huge difference with my second and third child. I got blackout curtains, you know, like, Oh, chair seat. Oh my gosh. I cannot tell you how much that makes a difference, but just it changing the setting so that it's darker, you know, yes. cue sleep, right? Yes. <laughs> so many things that cue sleep. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. Um, yeah. So yeah. What, uh, so what you have two children, 
Mm -hmm. Did you use the same method for both of them or, or what methods did you use? Let's see. So with my oldest, I was a little bit more hesitant to do any sleep training, just having it be my first. Mm -hmm. She did also come out of the gate around three months and had these amazingly long stretches. And when she started to teethe, that would change, but then she'd sort of go back. And then eventually she just never went back and she was just got into the habit of waking up multiple times at night. So around a year I was finally, and you know, the thing about her though, is she was an amazing napper. So the way I survived is that I would be up like three, four times at night, even though she was almost a toddler, right. but she would nap for a lot of hours during the day. Cause she was tired. So I could rest too and things like that, but it eventually became unsustainable. And I think, especially with your first, it feels really difficult to have any sort of, um, you know, a method that involves some crying. And I think I just needed permission to get rest. And I needed somebody in a position of authority to tell me it was okay. Right. Like I couldn't just have my husband say, this is all right. I researched it. This is what we're going to do. Right. So I ended up looking for a sleep consultant. She came recommended by my pediatrician. And what I loved is that she was a clinical psychologist. And this made me feel better because I had to have the conversation with her about developing secure attachment. And is this going to be traumatic and all those types of things. Um, so with my daughter, we ended up doing the chair mattress method because she was a toddler right. and I had my husband do it. Um, I was also uh, breastfeeding. And so a big part of it um, was breaking the association between breastfeeding and going back to sleep. But also I was so tired at that point, I needed um, someone else to step in and do it for me. Right. So that was really helpful. And then with my, um, with my second, I felt more comfortable doing sleep training earlier because I saw the value of how great it was for my mental health. And so when he was about eight months, we did some sleep training and we did like, um, I think it's pretty similar basically to a Ferber method. Mm. Um, and we still use the same woman because I felt she was really confident and that gave me a lot of comfort. Right. Um, but I will say there is a lot of controversy about the Ferber method and saying that um, disrupt secure attachment. It's not as controversial as cried out, but it's gotten a lot of criticism. Yeah. Um, you know, it did end up working well for us. Um, but you know, I'm aware. And I think, um, I've also listened to some podcasts that talk about, we're doing a lot of research on the stress response for kids when it's a Ferber method or cried out. And I'm not saying, right, this is a decision you have to make for yourself, potentially with your doctor and all of that. But we also need to look at the mental health of the parents. Oh my and, God, if, yes. and if you're not sleeping, you know, I think at some point you need to find a way to rest because it, it's really not sustainable. And I do think there's so much judgment in social media or even like amongst your friends that you're talking to around how you help your kids sleep. Um, but it is really important to consider our mental health and well-being. And I think what really helped me in working with this woman is we would create a sleep book telling the kids about the changes that were coming up. Yeah. And one of the things is we're going to get to do a lot more fun things when everyone's rested as a family. Right. And that helped me. That was more for me to say, hey, I'm going to be a different kind of parent if I'm sleeping. Yeah. Um, so that's what ended up working for us. Oh, I love it. Um, we have some crossover in our stories, uh, some similar things, but also some different things. So I'll talk about my first daughter or my first child first, because it was so different with her. And um, 
I was maybe a little bit arrogant as a first parent. I can't, you know, I am one of seven children and one of the oldest of the seven children. So I remember, you know, when all, when my younger siblings were little babies and like helping out and I grew up like babysitting so much. And then of course I'm a marriage and family therapist and I used to nanny and I was like, I got this, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, well, that is a pretty prepared background, I would say. Uh, let me tell you, I did not have it. <laughs> oh my gosh. It was so, it was so challenging. And so I didn't really want any information about sleep training um, initially because I was like, I I think I know how to do this. And um, so pretty soon I realized like, you know, she wasn't sleeping very well. And she was, she was also like kind of a fussy, um, you know, the first four months she cried a lot and uh, which is totally normal, but you know, every baby has a little bit different temperament. And so I ended up co-sleeping with her, which was a really good decision for that time where I was able to like recuperate and it felt good. And I, you know, I was also breastfeeding her. Um, but like I said, around one years old, it, it started to become not manageable anymore. And mm-hmm. then I had to, and that was kind of when I realized, Oh, there's actually a period of, there's like an age where it's like sleep training is easier Mm-hmm. And, uh, which is four to six months, or as my pediatrician has told me, it depends on the child's weight. It's like yes. once they're able to, once they have a certain weight, which I forget exactly what it is, um, they're able to like sustain themselves. They don't get as hungry. Is basically right. <clears throat> and so, anyways, missing that golden opportunity, I then kind of, we basically did um, the chair method, like you described. But I spent so many nights on that floor holding her hand through the crib yeah and if I even moved a little bit you know it's like my whole arm would be yes she would wake up right and she is such a lovely sleeper now she's now eight years old but uh but it was a really I would say from one to two was really challenging Mm -hmm. I wasn't getting a lot of sleep um and so, so yeah, that was pretty much what we did. But we made uh, around that time, I made a little book for her. And I and I would recommend this to everybody. I was trying to get her used to the idea of like, what, you know, what it's supposed to look like to fall asleep on your own. Mm-hmm. So we spend a couple days with me like photographing all these different parts of her day. And then I made like I had like a book made and bound yep. that walks her through her entire day, walks her through her entire bedtime routine and ends with a picture of her sleeping. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, I still use that book with my my two younger ones. They know it's her and, you know, it's, right. it's not them, but they get they get the idea. But that actually was really helpful in just her getting the idea of like, okay. And she at some point had a little spot in her room that was not on her bed that she liked to sleep. And yeah. that, that was kind of once she found her spot, things changed for us. But it was really rough. And um, I was distressed as a parent because there is like, I, I felt like everyone around me had figured out how to get their kids to sleep. And it was like my little secret that I couldn't get my kid to sleep. And um, now that I look back, I'm like, you know what? I think every child comes into the world with a different sleep temperament mm-hmm. and everyone's doing the best that they can. Yes. And um, so I, I, I don't regret co-sleeping with her. I, I really um, thought it was the best choice for us at the time. So for my other two though, so here's my, my, my favorite story. <laughs> so my second child is born. And he's about four months and I'm over at a good friend's house who has a baby who was born a few months before and it was her first. 
And she's also a marriage and family therapist. Okay. And we're like sipping on coffee, having some donuts, something like that. She's a big fan of donuts. So I'm pretty sure it was donuts. (laughs) (laughs) And and she's like, you know, I got to go put my baby down for a nap. And I'm thinking like, okay, see you in an hour, you know? Right, right. She, She leaves. Five minutes later, she walks back. And I'm like, is he asleep already? And she's like, oh, yeah. And I was like, teach me huh? your ways. <laughs> and so she introduced me to the book, The Happy Sleeper. Um, the subtitle is The Science Backed Guide to Helping Your Baby Get a Good Night's Sleep, Newborn to School Age by Heather Turgeon, who's also an MFT, and Julie Wright, who's also an MFT. Mm-hmm. And um, so I bought it that day on my Kindle, read it that night, <laughs> and I immediately started. I was lucky because my baby was four months at the time. So I was in that golden window that um, she describes in the book. And I gave myself two weeks. I was like, I'm going to try the method for two weeks before assessing whether or not it works for me. Okay. And um, it didn't work. (laughs) (laughs) But here, this is why. Me. It is because of me. (laughs) So... Um, I went back to my friend and I said, you know what, I've been following it, but I, uh, he still won't sleep. If I, when I leave the room, it's like, he'll fall asleep. But when I leave the room, he wakes up and she was like, okay, I'm going to come over and I'm going to help you. So just like you, how you hired someone, this was my person. She came over one hour uh-huh. for one hour. And we went through the method of, you know, every five minutes, mm-hmm. if he's crying, you go in and you do the least intrusive thing, right? Mm-hmm. If you need to, you pick him up. But, you know, that's going to be the last thing that you you try. Literally one hour of her helping me do this, mastered. Yeah. And he slept like a dream and he's still an amazing sleeper. Oh, <sighs> and this was your second? This is my second. So mm-hmm. I was just like, oh my gosh, this is so amazing. And I really think the key was having somebody there that could give me permission, like you said, that also had the experience, like you said, mm-hmm. and gave me the confidence. Yeah. Um, and, and it was, I, you know, I was afraid of, of like him feeling distressed, but it was not distressful at all. You know, like it was, it's such a supportive method. So when my third child came around, um, I did it, but I didn't need the help. I was able to do it on my own. So that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So I, that was actually why I wanted to talk about, um, this particular topic this week, because I was, um, this is the number one thing that young parents bring to me in my private practice. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And um, this is the number one book I always recommend. And I always yep. recommend if it doesn't work for you on your own, bring in a friend, bring in, uh, hire someone that um, can help you do it. Because sometimes we just need that added help. Absolutely. And I think, um, I think you're going to get some guidance from your pediatrician, but pediatricians are more medical based, right? So a lot of times they can be a little bit more black and white. They're this many pounds. That's fine. Um, what I liked about working with the sleep consultant was that she sort of went through the medical history. So you're going to have different, um, a more gentle approach. If you had a preemie, if there are more medical complications. So she looks at that. It was also interesting too, because eczema is really common right now with our little ones Mm. and kids with eczema don't sleep as well because they get itchy during the night. Um, So just things I didn't think of that were really helpful and just made me feel really secure that she was looking at. Um, and then I was chuckling to myself when you sent me over some of the books that you read right. for this um, podcast, because just like you, I mean, in all the classes, they're recommending the happiest baby on the block. Um, I, it's like the five S's, right? So we're swaddling, we're shushing, we're doing a football hold. I forget all of them, yeah, but yeah. 
I'm not a football hole gal. That never worked. I bought the shushing machine. That didn't work. I shushed in her ear. She didn't care. So that just didn't happen to be like the best one for me. But I think it's one of the most widely recommended. Then I went to the no cry sleep solution because I'm a first time mom and I don't want my child to cry. Right. Right. So I got that. My husband chuckled. I read it cover to cover. It didn't really work for us. And I think when we worked with this woman, what she said was, you know, we're not in the business of making kids distressed, but there's probably not going to be a change without some crying. And that really helped me reframe this idea that you can have a no cry sleep solution without co-sleeping. And if you want to do that, that's great. And and for me, I didn't. Um, But that was really helpful too. And then by the time I got this last book that worked really well for you, I bought it and I passed it on to friends. I never read it because I had purchased so many sleep books at that point and had already hired this woman. I was like, I have no capacity for this. So I've gifted it to other people. (laughs) And I am glad to hear that you think it was wonderful. Um, And the other thing about working with this woman that made me feel really confident, and her name's Angelique Millette, and we'll link her below, is that she has an option to come into your home and assess the sleep environment. Mm -hmm. And I was so desperate. I'm like, do you need to come into my home? And she's like, probably not. Only in very more complicated medical cases or unique cases do I need to come in. So I also felt like she wasn't trying to sell me her highest product based on me being sleep deprived and desperate. And so I, I, that built a lot of trust between us as well. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. You know what? I think even if you don't have children, having somebody come in, that's a professional to assess your sleep. <laughs> yeah. Situation, that sounds super useful. <laughs> She's like, I think we can do this all over the phone. And so you do, you know, phone consultation, email support or phone check-ins. But, um, but yeah, that was really helpful for me. And I've definitely, if people are at that point where they're really desperate, I mean, she's my top, top referral for that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, those books that you mentioned, they're, they're really well known. And, you know, like Elizabeth Pantley and Harvey Karp, the people that wrote those two books that you mentioned that we did not use or that did not work for us. Like those books came highly recommended to me by parents who they did work yeah. for. Okay. And, yeah. And I think that goes back to, you know, like every child has a little bit different sleep temperament and every parent also has a different temperament as well. And, you know, and if things are aligning, you know, with the, the development of the child when you're starting the method and stuff like that, um, really makes a difference in whether or not a specific method works for you. So, um, yeah, it's, I don't want people to walk away from this episode and think like there's only one right way. Um, I think even if a method didn't work for me or for Christy, that it might work for you, but you should work with maybe like your sleep team, you know, like your doctor, your partner, Mm -hmm. and possibly a consultant or a good friend who knows what they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, I just think this is such a hot button topic for people. And so we hope that this was just, you know, a supportive conversation talking about different things. And really the takeaway for us is, you know, that we're not pediatricians. So obviously check in with your doctor, um, but really trust your instinct around what's going to work for your family. And I think co-sleeping is lovely. I just didn't want to do that. I mean, who doesn't want to sleep with somebody at night? It makes sense. Um, So I just think a lot of times people will also tell you, you need to do this and they need to sleep on their own. If it works for your family to um, share a bed and things like that, then that works for your family. Right. Yeah. Choosing what works for your family, I think is key. And what's sustainable for you, you know, right. And what's sustainable for you may not always be sustainable for you, like in my case. So, so yeah, yeah. And, and your kids, you know, sleep needs change over time, um, which brings me to another point that I wanted to make sure we made today, which is, you know, if you are sleep training a really young baby, you know, that's between that four and six month range, six hours is considered sleeping through the night. Yes. So, um, 
that, you know, is not you sleeping through the night. You put them down at 6.30 p.m. and, you know, they're up at 12.30 and that. Right. And then, and but then, you know, you go through the, whatever method you're using again, and but you need to give a feeding, right? Because the reason they're waking right. up when they're so small is because they actually do need to eat. It's, you know, a biological need, not because... Uh, because they're not used to sleeping or something like that, right? Yes. Uh, and I think we all have that friend out there that we secretly don't like that at three months, their baby just happens to be heavier and they sleep 12 hours through the night and they're not hungry. And that's nice for them, but not totally nice for them. I still hold some resentment there. Um, but that, right. but that is not like medically speaking what we can expect or hope for. So I think sometimes we hear those things, we're so tired and we want it too. But when they are little, I remember learning that there's a lot of books out there that say, I promise you, I will get you 12 hours of sleep by four months. Um, but that's really young. And so a full night's sleep is six hours and really looking at age and weight. And, and that's where the, your pediatrician really is so helpful in guiding you. Right. And there are guidelines for like how much sleep the child needs, like in a certain span, you know, like in the span of a day. And I'm pretty sure that you know, for those, um, for four to 11 months, they're supposed to be getting 12 to 15 hours, you know, in a 24 hour cycle. And some of that's going to be for naps. But I would right. say, you know, 10 to 11, those hours are going to be probably the nighttime sleeping, but just expect that there's going to be wakings because biologically they need to be fed. Yeah. But they outgrow absolutely. that. I think they outgrow it maybe around eight, 10, 11 months or, or so. It depends on their weight. Sure. And then you get into the whole other phase of being a toddler. And if your toddler hasn't taken to eating solids as much as other toddlers, then they're also waking up hungry because no matter how much milk they get during the day, it's not enough. Um, so it all evolves. And I think what's so interesting is this is what you hear most from parents in your private practice, parents of, with young kids, right. and that we are not in it in the same way, right? You have your oldest is eight, my oldest is six. But when we talk about this, I can go back immediately and remember because it's oh, yeah. so important. If you're not sleeping, it's so important and you'll remember. Right. It's it's like one of the hallmarks of like early parenthood. Yes. You never forget it. <laughs> yep. That's right. 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 So best of luck to all you young parents out there. Yes. And, um, yeah. There's lots of options out there and we hope some of them work for you so that your yeah. family can get more rest. Yeah. So my, so we always like to end with something kind of fun um, that, you know, like what is your favorite, you know, and then insert whatever that thing is. So I love wine. Um, I know not everyone's wine drinkers out there, but I wanted to sit, you know, once you get your kids asleep, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yourself once in a while you know <laughs> so christy what is your favorite wine let's see so i um i am actually not a huge wine drinker oh. um because i probably from being a parent and it makes me sleepy the next day but right. when i do have some wine um i love uh rosé because mm -hmm. it's pink you know i'm a basic kind of gal <laughs> And um, a really fun brand that I discovered um, before I had my first kid is called Whispering Angel. I mean, how sweet is that? Yeah. I think they might even be in Oakland, but I'm not quite sure about that. Um, and so it's a really, um, it's not super dry. I like something a little bit more fruity for rosé, and I really enjoy that. Uh, I was listening to a podcast recently <laughs> that talked about what... Um, a poorly made wine that was. And I was like, my whispering angel. And they said it was like the McDonald's of wine and that the amount that they adjust that wine to make it taste good was like very, um, was not organic and it was very like doctored with or something. So I don't know a lot about wine. I do think it tastes delicious. And I think the name is lovely. Yeah. Well, I love it. 
I love rosé. Um, I love all wine, though, so we'll <laughs> put that out there. So um, I'm going to give you a red and a white. Okay. Then um, here we have the full spectrum. Full spectrum. We got mm-hmm. our rosés. We got our whites. We got our reds. What else yes. do we need? <laughs> so my favorite red is Rombauer Zinfandel. It's a okay. winery, and um, their, their Zinfandel is phenomenal. It is so... <sighs> It is so good. It's rich and jammy and kind of on the sweeter end. You would like it, you know, like if you're, okay. if you're someone who, you know, prefers a sweeter wine and you want to go for a red, Stephen mm-hmm. Bells are kind of heavier, but this one's, they're also kind of sweeter. So uh, okay. this is a really good, good one. Rombauer Zinfandel. Okay. And then um, my white, which, you know, I think anyone would like this. It's, it's a little dry, a little sweet. It's kind of like the perfect summer summer wine um, or hot day wine. And it's also a Napa-based wine. Um, Hannah is the label, like the name, okay. A-N-N-A-H, Sauvignon Blanc. And uh, I buy this at Trader Joe's. It's it's very affordable. I think it's maybe like 9 or $10, something like that. It's great. Fantastic. Fantastic. Okay. So there you go. That's one we can all pick up at Trader Joe's right now. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, this has been so fun. I love talking with you about all things parenthood wellness and career today parenthood especially so thank you so much for listening today make sure to leave us a review and subscribe that really helps us with the podcast and share it on social media with your friends and if you want to find out more and follow us you can go to the mental mile on instagram and check our show notes if you want to um, check out our books Self-Care 101 for Busy Parents, which is an ebook by Christy, and Running for Mental Health, a how-to guide by Chersty. Take care, everybody.